eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. The research I did for this episode took a very, very different course than I expected. I, it seemed like the the more things I, I looked up about today's topic, just it, it just opened up more questions than it did answers. Because I'll be honest, this was going to be a hatchet piece just against Walmart. I've never been a big fan, and I wanted to just illustrate uh, how there's just this huge problem, this blight on the American economy, these kind of evil robber barons of retail that exploit their workers. And if we could just get rid of them, then we could go back to the small mom store, you know, Main Street kind of idealistic 50s kind of retail world. And, and I know there was a lot of problems back in the 50s and 60s and 70s with racism and sexism, but I thought, you know, maybe there was a chance we could get back economically to, to a, a better outlook for the middle class. And I thought Walmart was one of the main impediments to get back there. And, uh, you know, the problem with the American economy is a lot deeper than Walmart. However, Walmart is part of the problem for sure. Walmart's the, only, the, the one and only store I've ever boycotted uh, for the last seven or eight years. I've done everything I can to avoid them. Uh, it started when I did a, a few college tours. Uh, like I do, I did a couple hundred colleges, shows at colleges. Um, you know, mostly around like 2007, 2008, 2009, you know, in, in that range there. And I would go do all these little liberal arts schools in these small towns across Pennsylvania and Ohio and Virginia and all over the country. I, I literally did every single state other than Hawaii. And I would drive around and I would see over and over again this just decimated downtown of some little city of like 20, 30, 40,000 people. And it would have this downtown that you could tell was booming uh, as recent as maybe the 80s. You know, but now it was just all these closed storefronts and just nobody walking around. I mean, just dead. You know, 95% of the parking spots are available. Uh, you know, the stores that are still open, there's just no one in them. And then I would think like maybe just the town itself was dead, but then I would go to my hotel where the where the students had put me up, which was usually uh, a newer hotel, like a Holiday Inn or a Hampton on the edge of town. And I would go to the edge of town, and it would be, uh, you know, your TGI Fridays and your Olive Gardens and, and uh, these big hotels that, that all had full parking lots, but no parking lot was more full than the Walmart or the Super Walmart on the edge of town, just, I mean, hundreds of cars. And it, it didn't take some economist or genius to figure out, like, oh, that's where all the people went. That's where all the people who used to shop downtown went, you know? And, uh, and it just makes me sad and made me so angry about Walmart. Like, I just thought that they were just fucking destroying America. And, and maybe you'll think that, too. Maybe you do think that. Maybe you don't. By the end of this podcast, uh... I, I think you're going to at least agree that they're part of the problem, but the problem is so, so much deeper than Walmart with what has happened to America 
uh, you know, the, the economy and, and the kind of the, the downtown local store versus national store since, uh, since the early 80s in America. So, uh, so let's get corporate on this holy shit, what can of worms that I fucking open edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. All right, first off, I want to thank everybody for the, for the kind reviews. I uh, mean, they've been pouring in on iTunes, and if you haven't done one of those, man, please do. I, I, I appreciate it so much. It, 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 I think it seems to be helping uh, boost listenership. Uh, I also want to apologize for I have a cold today, but I had to get this done to get it uh, done on time for, for the weekly Monday podcast. And, uh, yeah, so just thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, we're going to start 2000 uh, – oh, actually, I guess 2017 already started off. I was going to say we started off, but uh, we already did the, the am, I, am I dumberest, am I getting dumberest episode last week. And you know what? And actually, I'm glad I'm doing this one because I felt that one was like kind of against the working class almost. Like I was kind of shitting on them. And this one is very pro-working class, you know, where, you know, it's, it's easy to be like, well, why don't you just get a better education, referring to last week's episode. Well, there's, there's a lot of factors working against people and uh, economics being – maybe the biggest one, and I really delve into that in this episode and show that, you know, it's not the working man, that's the fucking problem uh, with the economy right now. And yeah, and again, I went into it, you know, definitely with a bias with this episode, um, starting to research Walmart and watch some documentaries on Walmart, and uh, that was just the tip of the iceberg. But let's start there. Let's start, um, you know, is Walmart bad for business, essentially? Uh, You know, is it bad for its employees? I think so. I think so. Uh, wages were just about nine bucks an hour just a few years ago. You know, they really just kind of have hovered around uh, minimum wage. And if, you, and if you're against like minimum wage, you know, hikes overall, especially for bigger corporations, I mean, it's just not a living wage. It's just, it's just, it's getting farther and farther from a living wage. Um, they did raise recently to about $13 an hour for full-time employees and about $10 an hour for part-timers after a lot of kind of public outrage, a lot of bad press, a lot of lawsuits, <laughs> frankly. Uh, full-time employees do receive insurance. Uh, to which Walmart pays 75% of the premium. They get a matching 401k retirement plan where Walmart will match 6%. Uh, stock matching plan for full-time employees where the company will match uh, 15%. You know, So if you buy you know, 100 shares of stock, they'll get an extra 15 for you. Uh, but you know, like none of, none of those benefits uh, matter if you can't afford to fucking get them. And that's been, from a lot of things I read, a huge problem with Walmart employees, you know, and you can watch a lot of interview after interview on these documentaries where they're like, well, yeah, okay, there is health insurance, but like on the wage I'm getting from Walmart, excuse me, <coughs> let's see, on the wage I'm getting from Walmart, I can't afford it. Like I cannot afford to get it. I can barely afford to eat. And, uh, and Walmart has, you know, very aggressively kept its wages down. Uh, partially through being very anti-union. You know, in 2014, and this is the kind of shit they'll do, uh, uh, some workers at a Walmart store in Quebec successfully unionized. Right after they did that, Walmart announced the store was going to close, citing economic reasons. It's fucking... I I bet you my life that store would have still been profitable after that, but it wouldn't have been as profitable, and they wouldn't... And they they didn't want... and And you'll understand why I'm saying this a little bit later when I reveal some things. They wouldn't want... Uh, the rest of their stores to realize they could still be profitable, uh, even, even though they're paying their you know employees more at that particular store, because then they'd have less fucking gigantic, insane corporate profits. Uh, 2014, uh, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals handed Arkansas Walmart employees a victory, reinstating a lawsuit alleging that Walmart engaged in anti-union activities. And I watched one of these documentaries where they did uh, do tons, tons of stuff, where like. You know, you know, corporate execs in, in Arkansas uh, for Walmart would, you know, pressure these regional managers and store managers to kind of basically, not not kind of, to keep a close eye on employees who seemed like they were starting to kind of unionize. And if there was any hint of that, they were told to fucking fire them. You know, that, that's like that's like some old turn of the the... 19th century stuff, you know, when the old robber barons were running the railroads and there are other factors with the roof, you know, the fucking iron fist. And if you dared go against them, you know, you were out of there. It's like that same, man, the same shit is happening. Uh, 2013, 
The International Labor Rights Fund filed a class action suit against Walmart for violating workers' rights in foreign countries, alleging that Walmart denied minimum wage, required overtime, punished union activity. Some cases, workers alleged they were beaten by supervisors. You know goddamn well they'd do that here if they could. If certified, 100,000 to 500,000 workers could be included. Specifically, the suit alleged that one Bangladesh worker worked seven days a week from 7.45 a.m. to $10 p.m. without a day off in six months. And I bet that fucker was getting like $2 a month or some shit. So, yeah, so crazy exploitation of, of workers, both domestic and foreign. And uh, I, I will say, to be somewhat fair to Walmart, it's not like they're the only ones doing that. Uh, basically, all the major retailers buy foreign goods, and all those foreign goods are made in factories, uh, many of which have horrible working conditions. However, Walmart is the nation's largest retailer, and to me, with that comes more responsibility. If you're selling the most of that stuff and making the most money off that stuff, which they are, then you should pr- you have uh, a greater weight to throw around, and you could pressure those places to take better care of the workers, but they fucking don't. They don't, because that would cut into Wall Street profits. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about Wall Street uh, profits here. Check this out. This is 2015 numbers I'm going to give you right off the bat here. Uh, revenue in 2015 for Walmart. Get ready for this number. $482 billion. I'm going to repeat that. In 2015, Walmart's revenue was $482 fucking billion. Their operating income was $24 billion. Their, their net income was uh, just under $15 billion, and their total assets were about $200 billion. But check out, and check out that, I want that net income, man, almost $15 billion. And that's what they, what they show on their tax returns. Anybody who is self-employed or runs a business knows that you hide so much shit. I mean, you have to be incredibly naive not to believe that. You minimize, I mean, you know, net profit is what you get taxed or, yeah, taxed on. So you, like, you do everything you can to inflate your expenses to make that number as small as possible. Now, there is a, 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 uh, a drive to please shareholders, so you don't want to make it too small. But, you know, you also don't want to pay, any, you know, a bunch of extra taxes on it either. So you know that if they're reporting $15 billion, they probably made actually much more than that. And, and to go off of uh, some more stats here, and these, again, this episode, I made a real effort on this one to, to you know, pull from stuff, you know, like government websites, kind of government watchdog websites, Forbes, Huffington Post, you know, thing, Reuters kind of Associated Press type articles, not just a fucking weird <laughs> uh, conspiracy theory sites. But uh, this, this revenueandprofits.com said Walmart has made between 10 and $15 billion in net profit every year between 2004 and 2015. Now, in that same period, annual revenue went up from $281 billion in 2004 to the number I just told you, $482 billion in 2015. Uh, so, you know, in, in an increase literally each and every year. So, again, that just tells me, like, wait a minute. So you've, you've almost doubled your revenue but you're still reporting just, you know, uh, roughly the same amount of profit. Bullshit. So they were making a lot of fucking money. Now, I wonder, like, like if you're making all this extra profit, why can't you share it with the workers? You know, why can't you... Uh, I mean, they're notorious for, like, driving down the cost, like, like squeezing every, uh, of, like, distributors and product manufacturers and, you know, paying them less than they would at other places. So where, where does this extra money go? Uh, well, first off, you know, profit is one of the main driving factors increasing stock price. So much of this money goes back to the shareholders. And who owns most of that stock? Who, who is the biggest uh, shareholder in Walmart stock? The Waltons themselves. 2015 Business Insider article uh, reported that as of December 31st, 2014, the Walton family owned 50.86% of the company's stock for a total of 1.42 billion shares. Now, that stock is down about 25% from 2014 to a share price currently, as I'm relaying this, of just over $69 a share. That means, give or take a few hundred billion dollars, the family... uh, (laughs) Sorry, give or take a few billion dollars. uh, The family has $98 billion in company stock. Just in company stock. That doesn't include wages, assets, and other investments. When you include those, 2014 Forbes article reports the Walton family is America's richest by far, worth $140 billion. $140 billion. 
And are these people reinvesting? And by, and by the way, this Walton family, second generation. This isn't uh, Sam Walton and his wife who fucking founded Walmart. These are the kids. So they weren't like the entrepreneurs that set this shit in motion. They were along for the fucking ride. They were born into the right goddamn family. I'm sure they tell themselves that they fucking steered it into the right place and patting themselves on the back. Fuck them. They were born into the right goddamn family, and because of that, they're worth $140 billion collectively. Motherfuckers. Uh, so, uh, um, and, and, and again, and are they giving uh, some of this money back into the country that built up their empire? No, not really. The Walton Family Foundation, uh, established by the parents, Sam and Helen Walton, uh, it, it runs independently of the second generation of Walton's family wealth, uh, according to a report by Walmart 1%. Now, in the past 23 years, the four heirs of the Walmart forge, think about that, $140 billion split four ways. The four uh, heirs donated a combined total of $59 million to the family foundation, despite a net worth of $140 billion. That means they donated less than half of 1% of the money that was given to them by mommy and daddy into a foundation that mommy and daddy created for charity. All right, now this, you know, this foundation is good. In 2013 alone, the foundation invested $325 million across, you know, education reform, environment, uh, you know, in the family's home, uh, and other proje uh, projects in the family's home region of northwest Arkansas, you know, such as like Alice Walton's Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, which was like funded to, with the tune of $1.2 billion. But think about how much more could be done if they gave some of, you know, I don't know, some of their billions. You know, they could give, uh, if they're worth $140 billion, they could give $40 billion into charitable stuff. $40 billion, you know, uh, and still be worth $100 billion. God damn. Just to, just to put their, that money in even more perspective, according to a 2013 Gawker.com article, the Walton family is worth more than the combined wealth of the bottom 40% of Americans. That is terrifying inequality. Think about that. God, damn near half of America combined is not worth as much as four fucking families. Jesus Christ. You know, four members of a family. God damn it. <coughs> Excuse me. Ah, you know. And, uh, and, and, and it's like, you know, they, they could... They, they could give so much more back to their employees. 2013 Fortune article, uh, you know, by some economists, pointed out the, the, the Walmart's insane profits. They're talking about those. And they recommended that they pay their employees 50% more. And then they broke down how they could do this, still please shareholders, and still make insane profits. But they don't, you know, because no one's forcing them to. Because there's no government re regulation on this kind of stuff, which there should be, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. And, you know, if you're thinking like, oh, what are you, fucking socialist or communist? No. But capitalism has gone too fucking far in this country, and we're all suffering. All of us except for the upper 1% of the upper 1%. And it is bullshit, and you're going to understand how bullshitty it is by the end of this podcast. And, and, you know, and, I, and I think there's this American attitude that I'm sure the Waltons have, where they probably feel like they earned it. They earned it. I feel like a lot of conservatives have this attitude. You know, that the, I've talked to people. You know, that the Waltons, the Trumps, the world, they deserve the money they have because, you know, because they earned it. I hear that phrase a lot. Well, you know, they earned it. Well, I think how you earn money matters. I think it matters a whole fucking lot. And if you exploit the very people who allow you to earn your wealth, you haven't earned it in my mind. You've stolen it, motherfucker. You stole it from the people beneath you. You gathered it off the sweat and the blood and the tears and the hopes and the dreams of the people running the business you created. Now, do you deserve more money than your employees? Because you're the one who had the vision and started the company? Absolutely, of course you do. You started the jobs in the first place, all right? You're entitled to more, but not infinitely more. There's no humanity in that. No one. I repeat, no one needs a billion dollars. Fucking no one. Now, I'm not saying no one should have a billion dollars, but I am saying that no one, you know, needs it. And, and, and no one should have it if it means that the company that's given them this billion is run by an impoverished workforce, which Walmart has. That's when capitalism becomes a fucking evil and inhumane. You know, and I hate it when... You start speaking poorly of capitalism, people start, again, throwing their words around like socialism and communism, like that's the only other choice. That is simplistic, illogical bullshit. The world is not black and white. There's not only capitalism or socialism, right? It's not full of just this or that. You know, we could, we could have something in the middle. I, I firmly believe that heavily regulated capitalism is the only way to go. Capitalism with strong government oversight 
but only if the government uh, overseeing the capitalist isn't in fucking bed with them. And that's the problem we see we have now in our country is the politicians being in bed with corporations. You know, and and I think that's why uh, high-ranking government employees like like you know congressmen, senators, you know uh, the president, his cabinet. I I think in an ideal world they should literally not ever be allowed to earn income from the private sector ever, ever again in any way, shape, or form once they've taken public office. Think about the different kind of people that would attract to those jobs if you couldn't just make insane money on doing speaking engagements and stuff afterwards. You're supposed to be public servants. I feel like we've forgotten that. They're supposed to be public servants, not corporate stooges. You know? They should get a government pension the rest of their lives. They could be very comfortable. You know, they could have a nice house, some nice vehicles, never have to worry, uh, be guarded by Secret Service, never have to worry about being poor ever. But, you know, but just take away the incentive for them to be cutting deals for these corporations that are going to give them kickbacks when they get out of office and hire them to do a 30-minute lunch and pay them fucking $100,000. You know, like that shit does not happen. That shit happens all the fucking time in Washington, D.C. God damn it. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know if we'll uh, uh, if we'll ever be able to get there because I feel like so many Americans are obsessed with materialism. You know, even people who have no realistic chance of ever being wealthy do not want to take the dream away of becoming insanely wealthy because it's like that's what they're fighting for. That's their American dream. You know, why? Why, why, why are we so obsessed with insane wealth? You know, like the fucking piece of shit Kardashians and stuff like that. They can just, you know, jet set around the world. Is that really how you want to live? I think it's disgusting. I really do. You know, and I've met a lot of wealthy people who are bitter, miserable fucks. And I've met a lot of working class people who are the happiest people I've ever met. Now, I don't know. If we don't figure out how to cut some of this greed out of D.C., though, these problems like Walmart are only going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And, and there is another way. This is the bright spot of, of my research. One of them. A couple bright spots in here. Uh, you know, like, uh, I was thinking about, like, God, are, are all people that just have hundred, you know, tens of billions of dollars just, you know, <laughs> fucking horrible? Uh, no, they're not. <coughs> Excuse me again. You know, like, you, you can't compare the Walton Empire to, like, you know, Bill, Bill Gates, Microsoft, for example. And, like, Warren Buffett. You know, those guys have pledged to give away almost all their fortunes to charity uh, when they pass. You know, as opposed to Sam Walton, who just gave it to his fuck-faced kids. You know, they decided to hoard it. They decided to use, you know, each and every tax loophole possible in order to keep the money in their own family account and not let the public claim a single dollar more in taxes than they absolutely have to. Uh, in Bloomberg Today, Zachary Miter had an excellent in-depth report today on the strategies that the Walton family uses to avoid estate inheritance taxes on their fortune, which has been, again, built on the backs of extremely low-paid workers. They're disgusting, you know? And they're the ones talking about, you know, being Christians, too, which kills me. They're the ones talking about Jesus all the time, you know? Do you hear Bill Gates talking about that? Do you hear Warren Buffett? No, you don't. Sorry, I was getting all high and mighty. And just in my head there, just for a second, I almost said Warren Buffet. I always do that with like the word Buffett. I want to say Buffet. That'd be great at this entire podcast if I just took away any sense of credibility by just being like, do you want to, you know, you don't have to do it that way. You could be like Warren Buffet. Warren Buffet is one of America's greatest businessmen. He invented, he invented the buffet for poor people. Did you know that? According to my research, you'd be like, oh, this, he actually, actually doesn't know anything. But <laughs> I don't know why. I could have kept that quiet. It, was, it only happened in my head, and I corrected it before I said it, but I felt compelled to put it out there. But these guys, you know, they're out there donating billions and making their employees and investors millionaires left and right. But the Waltons are there. They're, they're, the, they're the big Christian, big fucking phony pieces of shit. And I, I, I want to uh, show you how they compare specifically to Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. This is from the Forbes list of the world's top philanthropists of 2015. Uh, number one was Warren Buffett. He donated $2.84 billion in 2015 alone, lifetime donation of $25.5 billion, 39% of his current net worth. Number two on the list is Bill Gates. He donated $1.4 billion, lifetime donations of 32, almost $33 billion, 41% of his current, current worth. Now, down on the eight, they still were in the top 10. They were in the top 10. Number eight is the Walton family, $375 million. Lifetime donations of $5.65 billion. Donated $375 million compared to Warren Buffett's $2.84 billion. But that, their lifetime donation uh, is only 5%. Remember Warren Buffett was 39%, Bill Gates was 41%. They've only donated 5% of their current net worth. And let's not forget, this is a, a money that came from a trust founded by their parents. Right? 
the, the money they donated was from that family trust, as I already stated, that these fucking greedy assholes barely donate to. So in reality, they donated some of them. Some of them donated none. Some of them, you know, a couple million dollars, $30 million. I don't know. But you, you might think, Jesus, Dan, that's a lot. How much have you donated? Not very much. My, my donations lifetime are probably barely above 1000 So so I this I, I realize that there's, as I research this, I could do a lot more too. But... A thousand for me would affect my life far more than uh, literally a billion from one of these people. That's what kills me. Like their day-to-day life, they wouldn't even have to do anything. They could just tell one of their many assistants, hey, figure out how to get a billion dollars and put it in something fucking for orphans or something. But give it for for beaten, for orphans who are also domestic violence victims. Just the, the worst, just for mentally ill domestic violence victim orphans. Just give it, give a billion to them or, you know, whatever they wanted. And then like, it would, it would just take as long as I just took to say that. And then some, some many other people <laughs> would carry it out. All right. I'm going to take a quick, I'm going to pause. You won't notice it. I'm going to pause and then unpause so I can get some water and clear my throat. It's, it's cold. It's killing me. Ah, all right. That's probably, probably going to sound weird now. Cause it just goes from me going, Hey, I'm just going to clear my throat for a second. And then just like millisecond. And then oh, all right. But it had to be done. It had to be done. All right. So now that I've been bashing Walmart, uh, which is what I intended to do kind of to start this podcast, I, it started bringing up a lot more questions with me, though. It's like, okay, I'm bashing these guys, but, but how do they compare to the other big box stores? Like, let's start there. I, I think Walmart, its closest competitor uh, would be Target, a, a place that I, I admit I've shopped at a lot over the years and I always thought was a really good company. So how does Walmart compare to Target? Here's where um, the podcast gets sad again. Uh, annual revenue at Target in 2015, uh, actually between 2011 and 2015, was between 69 73 billion. Annual profit, roughly $3 billion a year. So, you know, it's not the 10 to 15, but no one's starving on $3 billion a year. Now, according to a 2014 Fusion.net article citing a study from Glassdoor.com, Glassdoor.com is a website I kept going back to in this whole thing, which is where a website where uh, employees can just, you know, uh, send into the website how much they're getting paid for various companies, how, what they feel about the company they work. It, it gives a good rough feel of America's biggest companies. You can check out all, all kinds of companies on Glassdoor.com who, who do not sponsor, as I do not have any sponsors to this podcast. So it sounded weird like I was plugging them for a second. But uh, according to that, Walmart's average hourly wage was $9.22 compared to Target's average wage, and this is 2014, of eight eighty seven. Uh, Target does pay their managers a little bit more. A retail store manager makes uh, sixty-six thousand a year compared to Walmart, sixty thousand is a little bit more. Department manager makes forty-eight thousand at Target compared to twenty-nine thousand at Walmart. That's a lot more. But the Huffington Post also ran an article in two thousand thirteen breaking down how Target is really no better than Walmart. Employee satisfaction at Glassdoor.com is worse for Target than it is for Walmart. And uh, Target CEO, you know, uh, made twenty-eight million dollars in two thousand twelve despite, you know, people getting paid about nine bucks an hour, the employees. And, and that was some, uh, some figures thrown out by Ralph Nader, you know, one of America's kind of biggest consumer advocates for decades. So that, that fucking sucks. So that fucking sucks. Uh, Target is, is essentially, a, a, as far as employee satisfaction and how their employees are financially compensated, no better than Walmart. Now, what their family uh, does with their money, or what the founders of Target do, I don't fucking know. Maybe there's some benefits there, but, but really who gives a shit? I, I do think there's some of that. If you're, you know, if, if they were, you know, if Target was given a billion dollars a year to starving people in Africa, but were exploiting all of their workers in America, I don't think I would feel any better shopping there. You know, it's like, I feel like you got to take care of your own first and then do what you can to help everybody else. But you don't, you know, if your employees are, their kids are malnourished here because you're helping somebody else, you know, elsewhere. I, I don't know. That doesn't make me feel better. And I don't even know if they're doing that. There was so many things to research on this one. I feel like I needed a staff for this episode. Uh, thank God I let go of the 30 minute <laughs> time limit uh, from previous things. Cause this, there's just so much shit. Okay. So what about some other companies? So that's targets. I know that's sad, but let's get happier again and talk about uh, a Northwest company. I love living in the Northwest. Love being back here. 
And I love uh, how some of our companies match up. Uh, in 2014, the average Walmart employee made 11 83 an hour, according to some Bloomberg articles. And these, these things do vary because it's, it's so tricky to get an exact average because there's so many different positions and everything. So, so if you're confused as to why these numbers kind of vary a little bit, there's no consistency from you know, one reputable site to another. Because the, the company doesn't just put out exactly you know, what it is. And I wouldn't trust their, I would trust theirs the least. But anyway, in this particular article, just for a side-by-side comparison, Walmart, 11.83 an hour, Costco employee average of twenty eighty nine an hour. Fucking almost double. Fuck yeah, Costco. And I love Costco too, man. Free snacks. It's fucking great. And they never hassle you, by the way. If you've never been a Costco member, I love it. I forgot I hadn't been in years and I went recently. And what I love is the no guilt when you go get some free snacks. I remember like years and years ago when I'd first go to Costco, I'd go to the free snacks and I'd feel a little sheepish because I had no intention of buying whatever whatever thing they were peddling and i felt like they could te- they could you know figure that out with me and they would see that i was just skeeving off of them for some free food they don't fucking care don't care zero pressure for you to buy like like zero you can tell they're instructed not to fucking pressure people so free snacks they got dollar hot dogs i like that some some good some good franks they got some little yogurty shit with some fruit on it that tastes good cheap dollar 50 pizza slices and they got a lot of cool shit a lot of cool stuff, and the truth are employees well. So I'm glad uh, there, was a, there was a point in doing the research for this episode. I felt like I was just going to feel guilty shopping wherever I shopped, other than maybe like the farmer's market, and I don't like a lot of their doodads there. I'm not some fucking weird hippie beatnik who's going to live on organic jam and tie-dye shirts. But, uh, but Costco, I can go to Costco, so there we go. And then there's one uh, uh, even better than Costco. Uh, because Costco is not a totally fair comparison with Walmart because it is like a stripped down warehouse kind of business model. That's not, you know, a totally fair comparison. A, a closer comparison would be a store called Winco. Now, I did not know Winco's regional. It's like the the West Coast. There, there, there's like in California and Oregon. Um, I think Washington, definitely Idaho. There's one in Coeur d'Alene here. Where I, um, I am, in, and and they're founded in Boise. And my sister actually worked for Winco. I forgot about them. Because uh, I, I knew that she had worked at one. I'd heard the name from her, but I'd never been to one until recently. And uh, and they're like really, really good, really, really good comparison. So this is from a 2013 Time Magazine article. Uh, as far as how Winco can deliver such low prices, the Statesman story tells uh, details the company's history and business model. It all began, interestingly enough, when two Idaho businessmen opened up a warehouse type discount store with a name that could have been pulled from a spoof of Walmart called Wehrmart. Uh, <laughs> the company became employee-owned in 1985 and changed its name to Winco, short for winning company, uh, in 1999. And prices are kept low through a variety of strategies. And when they say low, they beat Walmart uh, on a lot of stuff. So they're, they're neck and neck with Walmart, basically just across the board. Um, but here's how they do it. The main one is that it cuts out distributors and other middlemen and buys goods directly from farms and factories. Uh, Winco also trims costs by not accepting credit cards, asking customers to bag their own groceries. Um, and so I want to get to their, uh, okay, so da-da-da-da-da. With all these factors help, uh, Winco is you know able to compete against Walmart on price. But what really might scare, and this is from this article, the world's largest retailer is how Winco treats its employees. This is what made me feel the best. In sharp contrast to Walmart, which regularly comes under fire for practices like understaffing stores to keep costs down and hiring tons of temporary workers as a means to avoid paying full-time workers' benefits, Winco has a reputation by doing right by its employees. It provides health benefits to all staffers who work at least 24 hours per week. The company also has a pension with employees getting an amount equal to 20% of their annual salary, 20%. You know, that's awesome. Of their annual salary put into a plan that's paid for by Winco. That's a fucking hell of a lot better than a 6% matching 401k, which I described earlier was Walmart. Because again, if you don't have enough money to put into it, then you're getting $0 in your pension. But these guys put up to uh, 20% of the annual salary uh, in, into their employees' retirements. And a company spokesman told the Idaho statement that, uh, statesman that more than 400 non-executive workers, i.e. cashiers, produce clerks, that kind of stuff, currently have pensions worth over a million dollars each. And I read various articles about some of these people, and it's fucking great. I mean, how cool is that? 
that, you know, uh, somebody who's worked, you know, stocking bananas in produce for the last 20 years is a fucking millionaire specifically because of that produce job. So it can be done. It can be done. Oh, th- th- reading that made me like Winco so much more and hate Walmart also so much more. But, um, but let's get like, okay, but with all these things, even with Winco, you know, uh, there is a nice retirement, but the, but the wage is still down. The wage is not great at a lot of these places. And it made me kind of like think about like what, what is the real problem? You know, like it feels like, you know, these jobs, uh, the Target jobs, uh, the Walmart jobs, even a lot of like the Winco jobs, you're, you're still, you know, not able to retirement or not. You're still not, not able to do much on 11 bucks an hour, 12 bucks an hour, something like that. Uh, the real problem is that we have too many minimum wage jobs. Now, check out this scary statistic. Two-thirds of minimum wage workers in 2013 were still earning within 10% of the minimum wage a year later, up from about half in the 1990s. So it went from half to two-thirds you know, of all minimum wage employees just basically continued to earn minimum wage. So that's terrifying. And also in the mid-1990s, only one in five minimum wage workers were still earning a minimum wage a year later. In 2015, that number was nearly one in three. So 20% to 33%. <clears throat> that's a bad, that's a bad, uh, we're heading in a bad direction with that. And, and it's, uh, you know, and it just sucks because retail jobs in general pay so much less than manufacturing jobs. You know, according to a, a current population survey, survey data uh, study, the average hourly wage in retail is 68% of that in manufacturing. So it's a third less than manufacturing jobs, which is terrifying. When you think about how in 1960, one in four American workers had a job in manufacturing. One in four. Think about that. One in four people had a job in manufacturing. Today, fewer than one in 10. That's scary. That's scary. Uh, the U.S. lost 5 million manufacturing jobs since 2000 alone due to outsourcing and automated assembly lines. How the fuck do we get there? I'll tell you. Wall Street, the rise of monopolies, and good old corporate greed. All right? You know, uh, no one company should ever be allowed to completely take over the market. Never works out well for the common man. You know, and when I started thinking about that, like with like Walmart, you know, I started thinking about like I talked about at the beginning of this podcast about these pushing these little you know, uh, small retail outlets and small towns across America out of business and just kind of devastating the downtown and being on the outside and just doing that over and over and over again. What happened to antitrust laws? Like, how were they able to become this huge fucking employer that mistreats so many of its workers? Uh, and, and, and if you're wondering what antitrust is, let me define it. It's, it's uh, of or relating to legislation preventing or controlling trusts, you know, companies, or other monopolies with the intention of promoting competition in business. So, you know, basically it's that, that you should never allow a company to, to own too much of the market share because then it can, you know, exploit its workers, which is exactly what Walmart has done. So uh, let, let's dig in a little bit more into the history of antitrust, you know, even though this is not a historical podcast. This is not a historical podcast. Says Ken keeps going historical. This is not a historical podcast. All right, so when did antitrust legislation begin? It began uh, basically with the Sherman Antitrust Act of 1890. That's named after Ohio Senator John Sherman, and it prohibited uh, certain business activities that federal government regulators deemed to be anti-competitive. The law attempts to prevent, uh, you know, the artificial raising of prices by restriction of trade or supply and by businesses acquiring a monopoly of their market. You know, such as kind of, you know, close to what Walmart has done. And then there was also the Clayton Antitrust Act passed in 1914 that expanded the scope of the Sherman Act. The Sherman Act also triggered the largest wave of mergers in U.S. history. So basically, like, you know, all these companies figured out that one way to get around the Sherman Antitrust Act was just to merge together. Somehow that was a loophole. And essentially the Clayton Antitrust Act was supposed to be able to block that loophole. Now, why did these laws come about in the first place? They came about because during the late 19th century, hundreds of uh, small, short-line railroads were being bought up and consolidated into giant systems. Separate laws and policies emerged regarding railroads and financial concerns such as bank and insurance companies. Advocates of strong antitrust laws argued the American economy to be successful requires free competition and the opportunity for individual Americans to build their own businesses. As Senator John Sherman put it, the guy who, uh, again, started the, uh, you know, fought for the Sherman Antitrust Act, he said, quote, if we will not endure a king as a political power, we should not endure a king over the production, transportation, and sale of the necessaries of life. Fucking think about that. 
Because you know who's a fucking king right now? The Waltons. I mean, think about that. They have the wealth of kings. They really do, you know? They just don't have the fucking title, but it's the same goddamn thing, and we're being exploited by them the same fucking way. And so after this, you know, legislation was passed, you know, like between like uh, from the 20s uh, all the way into the 80s, you know, Ma and Pa stores prospered. It was like kind of like the golden age of the common worker in America. I mean, racism and sexism, you know, still were huge problems, but, but economically, those who could work did very, very well compared to now. Like from the 1930s up until 1980, the average American after-tax income adjusted for inflation tripled, which translated into a much higher standard of living for, you know, most people in the American population. You know, in 1980, the American standard of living was the highest among industrial countries. And then in 2014, median wealth in the United States was 44900 which put the United States in 19th place behind many other developed countries. The U.S. now has one of the widest rich-poor gaps of any high-income nation today, and that gap continues to grow. A lot of prominent economists have warned that the widening rich-poor gap in the U.S. population is a problem that could undermine and destabilize the country's economy and standard of living. In 2016, Alan Greenspan, he's the fucking money guy. I've heard about him forever. He's an American economist who served as chairman of the Federal Reserve of the United States from 1997 to 2006. He wrote that, quote, the income gap between the rich and the rest of the U.S. population has become so wide and is growing so fast that it might eventually threaten the stability of democratic capitalism itself. Mm-hmm. If I can smell that revolution coming, I'm going to get into that at the end of this shit. 2015 Brookings Institute report found the typical man with a full-time job, uh, the one in the statistical middle of the middle, earned $50,383 last year. Typical, typical man with a full-time job in 1973 earned 53294 you know, measured in 2014 dollars to adjust for inflation. That's scary, man. That is fucking scary. Really scary when you take in, uh, into account that even after the housing collapse, a home today costs approximately three times as much as a home in 1970 compared to the wage the average person earns. So do you understand what that, uh, that means? I'll sum that up. That means it is three times harder to buy a house now than it was in the 70s. Three fucking times harder. I bet people thought it was hard then, and now it's three times as hard. Because the middle class is going away from a variety of factors. You know, I started off talking about Walmart and, you know, all these places and the manufacturing uh, jobs going away, leaving us with a, you know, one of the main sectors of jobs is like retail. And clearly I've established those things don't pay shit. And then we're not making uh, any more, you know, when you take in inflation than we used to. That's a fucking dangerous, dangerous, dangerous path we're on. You know, and, and especially if you get into the cost of higher education, which has increased exponentially in the last, you know, 34 years compared to wage, you know, it is getting truly, it's not just, you know, people being alarmists. It's not conspiracy theorists. It is true. There are numbers. I've been looking at so many numbers the last couple of days showing that it is definitively getting harder and harder and harder for the lower class and the middle class to get ahead. You know, there are, there are less good jobs than there were before. And, you know, a growing disparity between the upper class and the lower and middle class and it, it's just going to keep getting worse. Like, you know, it's, it's on the road to keep getting worse. <coughs> oh. and, and so, you know, when did this stuff stop being enforced, this antitrust legislation? Uh, like, like, you know, we had that big uh, rise in prosperity of the middle class all through World War II and especially after World War II up until about, you know, the early 80s. Why? Why did it, why did it go away then? Well, fucking Reagan, that fucking cock fuck. Uh, here's what happened. This is from The Nation. Uh, quote, where it really saw a major radical revolutionary change was when Reagan came to power in 1981. And this is talking about the death of the middle class. One of the very first things that the Reagan administration did was they went to Congress and said, quote, we are changing the way we enforce the anti-monopoly, antitrust laws. No longer are we going to seek to have competition for the sake of competition. No longer are we going to seek to distribute power to prevent the concentration of power. What we're going to do now is we're going to allow people to concentrate power because it's going to be more efficient and it's going to help the consumer in this country. Because of that power that's concentrated, these guys are going to use it to drive down the price of what we buy at the store. And they did. They did drive that price down. Unfortunately, they also stagnated wages. What is the fucking point of paying less for goods if you make less money when you take inflation into account than you used to? You know, I would rather make $100 an hour and pay, you know, 
five bucks for a candy bar than make ten dollars an hour and play and pay three bucks for a candy bar. You know what I mean? It's it's like it cheap goods only matter if your wage uh you know is is high enough to, to make that like a, a deal. Like if you can't afford a house, if you can't afford insurance, who cares if a fucking soda is a little cheaper? Oh God, it fucking kills me. Uh, fucking Reaganomics, man. Like capitalism thrive and the windfalls that come along with it will trickle down to the working class, huh? Bullshit. All that money has trickled right into corporate profit and the only winners are shareholders, owners, and upper management, man. The rest of us just get bent over like the poor and powerless always have. So that, So that's the history of that. You just learned something about history Even though this is not about history And yes, I'm singing my own actual song All right, so here's what that's left us with. Here, here's the result of uh, uh, antitrust laws not being enforced. Um, let's talk about why food t- does cost what it costs. Because I, I did say at the end of that, you know, that like the goods, you know, in theory with, uh, <laughs> with Reaganomics would cost less. But, but do they cost that much less? Uh, I, I think uh, a lot of people will feel like the food prices have gone up. And wh- why is that so? Because the four largest food companies control 82% of beef packing, 85% of soybean processing, 63% of pork packing, and 53% of chicken processing. All of that in the hands of four different companies. Uh, airfare, you know, why, why have airline tickets, you know, remained high in price even though the cost of jet fuel has plummeted like 40%? Well, because airlines uh, have consolidated into a handful of giant carriers that drive up, you know, routes and collude on fares. 2005, the U.S. had nine major airlines. We have like four now, all very politically well-connected. You know, here's something I didn't realize about the, about the Internet. The U.S. has the highest broadband prices uh, amongst advanced nations, but the slowest speeds. Why? Because more than 80% of Americans have no choice but to rely on their local cable company for high-capacity Wi-Fi. You know, it's usually just Comcast, AT&T, Verizon, or Time Warner. You know, I think some of those fucking, what, a couple of those merged together a while back. So there's, what, like three now or two? It's unbelievable. Medicine, drug companies, they pay the makers of generic drugs to delay cheaper versions. That's something that actually happens. This pay-for-delay agreements uh, are illegal in other advanced economies, but antitrust enforcement hasn't laid a finger on them in America. Costs, uh, you know, taxpayers uh, $3.5 billion a year. And then banking... That's, that's where it's the most gross. Wall Street's five largest bank now, banks now account for 44% of America's banking assets, up from 25% before the crash of 2008 and 10% in 1990. That means they can, you know, they can charge higher fees and interest rates on loans because there's no one else to go to. You know? And because they're like that quote-unquote too big to fail, they can get you know, hundreds of billions of dollars more in taxpayer bailouts. It's fucking gross, man. So what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? You know, uh, all of this stuff got me thinking like, well, you know, if we went away from these big, giant, nasty corporations, these big, giant monopolies, and we went down to like, you know, Ma and Pa stores again, would, would that be better? You know, is, is it better to shop at Ma and Pa stores? Is that better for, uh, you know, the, the, the average worker? Sadly, no. This is probably the saddest part <laughs> of the podcast from a 2014 Stanford study. Uh, pay is 15% higher in large firms with 1,000-plus workers compared with mom-and-pop shops that have fewer than 10 workers. For a non-manager, that's the difference between $13.61 an hour and $15.10 an hour. Uh, you know, so you'd make you know, a little over 15 bucks compared to about 13 and a half. For a manager, the average pay ranged from 19.43 at a small retailer to $21 an hour at a large one. Maybe even more important, the big big chains offer opportunities for people to move up. The little ones can't. You know, 18% of workers are first-line supervisors, and another 10% are more advanced managers uh, in in the retail stores. You know, as people are promoted, pay advances. The average supervisor earns $43,000. The average manager earns $66,000. You know, you just can't do that at a little local Ace Hardware store. (sighs) Ah, man. And then, you know, so... (laughs) And then there's then there's a whole other issue. And again, I just I said this just kept like this fucking can of worms. And then I was thinking like, well, an, another problem too with with local versus big is the items themselves. You know, because there's a whole other level of exploitation there. You know, if you're buying uh, a, you know a bottle of Coca Cola at your your locally owned grocery store, or 
fucking Winco or Walmart or wherever, what about the people who work at those places? You know, and then I started thinking like, well, God, what if you tried to just do like American made? Maybe there's some safety there. You know, because I talked about the loss of manufacturing jobs. What if you just bought stuff only made in America? Wouldn't that be better? Maybe not. This is the this is the very most <laughs> depressing part of this podcast. This is from a, a, a Washington Post article that came out just a couple days ago. And it's about the garment district in L.A. And uh, it's about how these illegal immigrants are making made-in-America goods in Los Angeles at these shady fucking factories. And, like, this guy that they interviewed for this, uh, he, he made $225 for the week. Uh, it was translated to $5 an hour because he worked a shit ton of hours. <clears throat> and he said that there's nothing to do but just, you know, take it. And federal, it says federal regulators have uncovered a widespread practice of garment workers, most of them undocumented, being paid far below the legal minimum wage, according to a recent Department of Labor report. Uh, according to this report, clothing prices, uh, excuse me, clothing prices, 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 Jesus Christ. I wanted to throw in another syllable in there. Uh, and many retailers would have uh, had to rise nearly 40% for the workers to be paid minimum wage. Man, 40% below minimum wage. Yikes. And then the garments made by these underpaid workers uh, most often get sold at fashion or discount retailers like Forever 21, TJ Maxx, Ross Dress for Less. Oh, man, I used to feel good about shopping at some of those stores. God damn it. Uh, so, I don't know. So what are you supposed to do with all this? Here, here's the, the conclusions with all this sad information I've thrown at you, you know? Uh, basically... What I'm finding out is once you start peeling back the layers of the U.S. workforce, you open up a really, really ugly can of worms. You know, overseas workers are being exploited. You know, even on the, the iPhone I used for part of this research that was probably made by somebody in China with fucking getting crippled from having to do the same uh, movement over and over again and getting paid nothing to do it. American factory workers are being exploited. Giant corporations are exploiting the common worker to boost Wall Street appeal, increase the sizable wealth of the owners of upper management. And I've, I've touched on it a few times. Maybe I didn't explain it. But, you know, the reason Walmart and these companies want to have huge profits is to increase the value of their stock because that's how you, that's how you drive stock price up is to show higher net profit and to show bigger uh, share of the market, which antitrust should stop. And the more you can do that, the more, you know, you can raise the, the price of the stock. And who benefits the most from the price of stock? Usually, like, uh, you know, the, the, the owners who have the biggest share of the stock and upper management who they give that as incentives to work there. So, you know, you just fucking strangle the person at the bottom so that the person, you know, making $20 million a year as some CEO can get another $50 million a year stock bonus. It's fucking gross, man. So fucking gross. Um, wages for most professions have stagnated for decades with more and more minimum wage jobs going away all the time. The wage and education divide between the rich and the poor is dividing and the middle class is dying. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Fun stuff to lead right into some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right, number one. Walmart is fucking us in the ass. Unfortunately, Target and many of the other big box stores are not only not helping us, they're waiting for their turn, sometimes with even less lube on hand than Walmart. Number two. The Waltons are evil trust fund fucks who I hope die painful deaths for how they've chosen to continue to exploit their employees to increase their decadent wealth. Oh, man, they, they could pay all their employees 50% more than they're currently paying them and still be incredibly profitable. Just think about that. Number three, our government is letting it all happen because most of our politicians are owned by corporate influence. The fox is truly guarding the hen house. Number four, fuck you, Ronald Reagan. Failing to enforce antitrust laws in the 1980s, cutting taxes on the wealthy and deregulating industry fucking killed the middle class and their opulent wealth. The likes which we haven't seen since the robber barons of the 19th century will fucking never trickle down from the upper crust. When the insanely wealthy are taxed heavily, you take away incentive for them to have enormous salaries and huge corporate profits. Instead, they're much more likely to reinvest well those profits into assets like company expansion, employee salaries. Income levels have stagnated since the Reagan era, except for the top 1%. The chief executive officers of America's largest firms earn three times more than they did 20 years ago, and at least 10 times more than they did 30 years ago. Thanks, asshole. Number five, Winco and Costco fucking rock. Two companies headquartered and founded in the Northwest, proving what I've always known is the best part of the country. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right, so how do we change things? How do we change things? I didn't want to just leave with nothing but just depressing information. You know? 
think we you know we have to increase wages, which will increase the cost of goods. However, some of the cost of goods increase could be offset by regulating the salaries of upper management and forcing families like the Waltons to push back much of their exorbitant wealth into their own workforce. They won't like it, but fuck them. What are they going to do? Leave the country? No. Sadly, nothing short of some type of economic revolution is going to change our current system. You know, history repeats itself. The poor get pushed down and stepped on and stepped on and stepped on until they can't fucking take it anymore. And then they revolt. And that cycle, man, that is old as time. It just keeps going around, keeps going around. And we're in the middle of it now, as we always are. You know, I was thinking about the American Revolution. Think about the founding of our own country. You know, I think we were taught kind of as kids that we fought for some noble concept of freedom. Shut the fuck up. That's a, that's a feel-good grade school version of the truth. Give me a goddamn break. You know what we fought against? We fought against financial enslavement. Great Britain found itself deep in debt following its victory over France in the French and Indian War, and as a result, it enacted the Sugar Act of 1764. Now, that was a law passed by British par- Parliament in 1764, raising duties on foreign and refined sugar imported by the colonies so as to give the British sugar growers in the West Indies a monopoly on the colonial market. And then there was the Stamp Act of 1765, again passed by the British government, that required the payment of a tax to Britain on a great variety of papers and documents, including newspapers that were produced in the American colonies. And then there was the Townshend Acts of 1767. The Townshend Acts, a series of laws which set new import taxes on British goods, including like paint, paper, lead, glass, tea, all kinds of other things, used uh, the revenues to maintain British troops in America, pay the salaries of some royal officials who were appointed to work in the American colonies. You know? And then there was other measures aimed at raising funds from the 13 American colonies. Taxes you know, remained orders of magnitude higher in Great Britain than across the pond. You know, they were getting taxed more in England, but the colonists fiercely resisted them anyway. They were protesting against, remember this is a big thing we did learn about, taxation without representation. And eventually they took up arms against their government, because they had taxation without representation. Wake the fuck up. That's what we have now. The common man is being taxed without representation. Because we have representation in name only right now. We have corporate lobbyists who are so deeply entrenched and in bed with our politicians. According to the Center for Public Integrity, $173 million flowed from giant blue-chip corporations into political nonprofits. 83% of that money went into trade associations such as the American Petroleum Institute, i.e. Big Oil. Oil money, right? Think about Bush and Cheney. Think about those fuckers working for Halliburton and then starting a war that just, you know, furthered the careers of people who worked at Halliburton. You think anything that has has to do with representing the common man? No, man, we're not being represented anymore. The politicians that do have our interests at heart, people like Ralph Nader are deemed unelectable by the majority of the population for being too idealistic. Man, some type of revolution. It's the only hope. Now, 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 saying that, I don't know how the fuck we do it. I don't know if I'm willing to die. I don't know if I'm willing to give up my little cozy lifestyle to, to do it. But we're not, we're not going to steer this shit back around. I don't know. I predict. I predict they're going to they're gonna let us just have just enough toys to keep us happy. Little iPhones, PS4s, that kind of stuff. Maybe I'm part of it. I'm part of the wheel, man. They'll let us have our little podcasts. Uh, to keep us from getting so pissed off that we're like, hey, man, what the fuck? And then we go up against them. Now, they're, they're not going to put any money in education. They're going to keep us undereducated, you know, except for the elites who soon will be the only people ever able to afford, like, the best colleges and universities. And then there's going to be, you know, there's going to be the gated communities and there's going to be the rest of us. And, uh, and if you're one of those people who are uh, the rest of us, I do hope you keep listening to this. Uh, sorry, this was uh, possibly depressing, but goddamn, I just I didn't know this were, where where it was gonna go. I thought I was gonna get to make fun of Walmart for thirty to forty five minutes and be like, "Peace, bitches, I'm out." But uh, no, no, the problem is so so much bigger, so much more entrenched than that. I wish it was easier to fix. You know, it reminded me of that kind of line of thinking, like conspiracy theorists. I love when people talk about you know like the Illuminati or something. It's like what a what a great thought that is to think that there's just one little group of people that are controlling things, and if we could get rid of them, then we'd all be good. We'd all have equality again. Uh-uh, man. We, we have to undo just uh, this ridiculously entrenched corporate system we're in right now to ever get out of this. So I don't know. So if you got a good corporate job, I guess, you know, good for you, man. Good for you. Don't give it up. 
And uh, and if you're listening to this and you work at Winco, shoot me shoot me an email. Is it is it really as good as it's cracked up to be? I hope so, man. Because after this podcast, I need uh, I need something to truly be optimistic about. That's not true. I have you guys. I have you listeners. So we'll goof it up next week. I don't know what the topic's going to be, but it's not going to be this heavy because I can't fucking take it. That being said, I hope you enjoyed this little bit of a this little bit of time suck. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.